0: Hey, 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 Real Talkers. It's Dr. Nikki here, and we have an exciting new episode. We're watching Wednesday, episode three and four. All right, pull up a piece of couch, watch it with your teenager, and listen to the podcast, and then have those great, wonderful, and fun conversations. All right, enjoy the episode.
1: Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us to talk about Wednesday. We are here mom and teen real talk. So we're here to talk about Wednesday Adams and not just what happened on every episode, but with some emotional awareness to our discussion. And, And the idea here is that you might've watched the show in the past or you're watching it now and to create the opportunity for more talks between parents and their teenagers. So what is happening with Wednesday and building some emotional awareness for all of us. So my name is Angie Solly. I'm here with Nikki with Dr. Nikki.
0: Do you want to say hi? Hi, everybody. I I just want you to notice that I'm sitting here in my bedroom at night and Angie is during the day. So we're in two completely opposite parts of the day. So if I'm looking all tucked in, this is where I am and you can tuck in or if you're on the other side of the world, and waking up with us, that's also a great place and time to be. But anything kind of goes in this situation. Really, we're just
1: yeah, we're covering all bases. We are oh. from the Wednesday Adams to the Enid spectrum of things. We're daytime and nighttime. We've got We've got it all covered. I love the
0: way you put that. Spectruming from Wednesday to Enid, the colorful, large mosaic window and the black and white spider web-like window that lives in their dorm room. Absolutely. I love that. But I I do think, and I'd spoken to a parent the other day that had read my book and listened to our podcast. And she said that the thing that was most important to her. And the things that, that she's most proud of is that she actually could listen to her teenager and be able to hear their feelings and not necessarily get so emotionally involved in their feelings. And she said, she completely turned around that relationship, that that relationship was heading towards a very difficult, contentious, really ready to leave kind of relationship and it completely turned around and that was because she figured out how to stay and listen and manage her own emotions around it and not necessarily make it all about what was going on with her but rather she could focus the attention on what was going on with her daughter so i was so awesome. excited to hear
1: that yes so that's exactly what we're trying to create more of right like that is the idea as parents you and i are both parents and we are raising, have raised our children who are now older. And, and it's, of course, we can get wrapped up in their emotional, their emotional situation. They're struggling, they are facing hardships, they're facing, they're, you know, really confident one moment, and then set back and insecure the next moment. And it's hard as a parent to separate yourself and not get caught up in that. But when talking about a bigger picture of emotional intelligence and emotional reaction, it's really fun to talk about characters because neither of us feels that personal attack of feeling insecure or that personal vulnerability or that, that personal responsibility that we have to save the other person from sadness and keep them happy. So when when we're talking about Wednesday Adams and Morticia and the the parent child dynamics there it's a lot easier to stay to stay from like a more distant perspective where we can talk about emotions without getting totally caught up so that's great that 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 family was able to make that connection and change, change their dynamic to have open conversations. Absolutely.
0: Without being defensive, really just talking about the characters and figuring out what they each felt about that and understanding each other more, really being able to listen without being defensive because it wasn't so incredibly personal. So we were saying that before that that people are watching shows together but they're not talking about it and i think they're watching shows that are extremely heartfelt and could show a ton of vulnerability but still they're not talking about it so really what what we're thinking here is that you get to actually talk like this is an opportunity to learn more to talk more to be together and to get really close and connected so i'm so excited about This show Wednesday Adams, because I feel like in some ways she reminds me of me, even though she doesn't seem like me at all. Like we didn't have the same life. I, I definitely did not be, I I felt like an outcast within the normie school, I guess. I don't know if that's how you felt or not, but I always felt like the outcast and even amongst my outcast quote unquote friends, I still felt like an outcast. (laughs) and she's I, clearly feeling that way.
1: That's a good point to bring up because it, is it just part of being a human that we all feel an outcast at some point? There even when when you're in your group of friends or your uh family, do you sometimes look around and think uh I don't feel the same way that these other people feel or no one understands me? I think that might be a human perspective, which maybe makes Wednesday Adams such a relatable, fun show, even though most of us haven't grown up with some kind of super dark element um, that that we get to go to a special school for, is it called the School for Outcasts? What do they call Nevermore? I think that. I,
0: someone... I think it's a school for outcasts, but the interesting part is that there were a lot of different types of outcasts there and I didn't see Wednesday fitting into any one of those types of outcasts so there were sirens and there were werewolves and there were all different things happening but where does Wednesday fit into that is it because she couldn't see visions or what were her special outcasty abilities
1: well, and she's not even looking like, where do I fit in? I think when she arrives, she shows up as, I, I don't want to be here. And she's not looking for a group of friends, like, where can I, where can I fit myself in? She is completely comfortable in being who who she is. She feels very solid in knowing that she's a loner and wants to be a loner and it's interesting as things develop you know where we we see that she can't always resist friendship maybe as much as she thinks she can or resist caring about someone um but she's not looking for like which group do i want to be a part of she's thinking of herself very much as I'm doing my own thing and who cares about all these, the bangs, for stoners and scales, they call it.
0: Oh, I, I'm glad you wrote that down. But do you think that that's part of a defensive thing? I mean, do you think that that she is saying, hey, I don't want any friends because she doesn't actually believe that either the friends will be good enough for her or will they accept her or not? Or will she like to hang out with them? There, there's a way in which she's already shut the door on friendships, assuming that nothing really good can come out of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we know where that's coming from yet. We saw, we see that the the parent relationship is already clearly there as her parents madly in love with each other. Clearly, it look, feels like their number one priority is their their love for each other and the kids might be secondary and not that they don't love the kids and they adore, I think the Father says, my little storm cloud, and they're proud of Wednesday. They're encouraging her, and they want to see her do well in her life. But she is already like, my my parents are hell-bent to make me who they want me to be. And she's in this, like, refusing to be who they want her to be. It seems to me like her primary focus is going against what they want for her maybe more than more than she's thinking about herself or like what do I want do I want a group of friends I think she's just thinking I just want to not do what my parents want me to do
0: right which is kind of like all of us so you don't have to be a Wednesday Adams to somehow believe that your parents are kind of trying to mold you into the version of what they believe will make you happy which might be an extension of themselves So I think that's always happening. The interesting part is that she always comes to the same conclusion. Maybe we're more like each other than I ever thought. So Principal Weems talks about that and her abilities and where her mother's abilities are. I think every time her father says these cute little phrases for her, like my little storm cloud or, or my little, you know, black widow spider or whatever he's calling her, he totally gets her sensibility and is interested in somehow boosting that. I don't know what the deal is with their overly sexualized relationship. It's annoying. But if I were a teenager with parents that look like that, I would be absolutely mortified. So you don't have to be a Wednesday Adams to be absolutely mortified by that over expression of wackadoo love. I mean, not that you can't love each other that much, but- but, but there's some, there's, there's something really over the top about it. I want to just go back for a moment to the piranha situation, mm-hmm. because it starts off that way. And clearly she has a vision that Hugsley is being attacked and she can see who attacked him. And he is tied up with an apple in his mouth in her locker and she is seeking revenge. Right. Is she like a modern day Robin Hood? like is she seeking revenge against people who are so bad and she has that kind of power do you look up to that or do you think that she shouldn't be doing that and how would we want to torture people who have somehow tortured people we love or us
1: I I wrote that down too in the notes like do we admire this about Wednesday do we admire this quality and especially that her seeking revenge, number one, shows she cares about Pugsley. She is not this detached um, person that she kind of presents herself as, I don't care about anyone. Now we know she loves Pugsley because she wants to get revenge on someone who has hurt Pugsley in some way. And then the way in which she does it is like, without any emotion right her face remains expressionless as she brings the piranhas to the pool and very just calculatedly without she doesn't spin into a drama and start crying and saying Pugsley what happened to you who did this we have to we have to get revenge on that she just calmly and coolly collects the piranhas goes and deposits them in (laughs) she Mm -hmm. doesn't cool cool she doesn't react in any way so but she did when- have a
0: little smirk on her face she and looked- then
1: that tiny little smirk, tiny
0: smirk. She was slightly pleased or maybe really pleased with herself. And she had another good Pugsley moment too when they dropped her off at Nevermore and he Mm -hmm. hugged her and she looked back at him and she said, you're going to die without me or you're going to get killed without me. And Pugsley knew exactly what that meant. And he said, I'm going to miss you too. So he knew that this is the way that she shows love. She takes on a lot of responsibility for the people that she cares about. Honestly, if I took on that much responsibility for the people I cared about, I would probably not try to care about so many people. And maybe that's why she keeps herself so distant because she does feel a responsibility to take care of writing whatever's wrong for whatever reason.
1: Oh, that's a, that's a good point. So if you, maybe if you're the kind of person who only keeps two or three strong relationships in your life, it's because you have such strong emotion about those people that it might be so draining to have 20 relationships that way um I was wondering if the idea behind Wednesday like if we're thinking if we're trying to figure out what's in her brain what is she thinking I thought of like emotion equals weakness Mm. that's kind of her her mode and so she can get revenge on someone and have that emotion but it's almost show no emotion Right. Mm-hmm. stone
0: face so yeah no I completely agree yeah yeah <laughs> she also <gasps> said that she would never fall in love she would never be a housewife or have a family like that is not like how she envisions herself and so mm-hmm. I think that's part of the showing some vulnerability or at least falling into whatever roles are expected of her. So even though her family is out of the ordinary, there are still some very familial roles going on in relation to the mom and the dad and, and so on.
1: Yeah. Well, and I like that Wednesday's decided for herself. Like that's not what I want. I think it was cool when she pointed out, I don't want anything to do with social norms. I don't want TikTok. I don't want Instagram. Um, she doesn't want to be a part of being in a group it's like and when rumors come up when she arrives at school and someone says did you hear about your roommate she kind of embraces it like yeah I'm a I'm a killer I'm a murderer whatever she says it's she she knows what she wants to portray definitely I think she's decided in that. I don't know if it is her true inner self yet, or if she's totally in touch with who she is in her heart, but she knows what she wants everyone to think about her.
0: It's an interesting way to do it. Like, could you imagine if somebody came up and said something to you that could be perceived as hurtful or whatever? And you would be like, yeah, I'm definitely like that. Like, I can be really mean. Or, yeah, I'm definitely stupid at times. Like, because I think, I think there's the reason why it's bothering us so much is because there is something we believe about it. So if we just took it and actually believed it with them for some portion, like, Oh yeah, I'm totally like that. Sometimes like, aren't you or whatever it is. I think that we might not get so defensive or hide so much or not try things because we're not that worried about what people are thinking about us. So I like the fact that she just says like, yeah, I killed somebody and I would do it again. You know, it's just like, Whoa, well, what do you do with that? You can't do anything with that. So it'd be really, it would be really interesting to be able to decide that you were going to listen to what everybody said and be like, Hmm, I can see some of that in me. That's true. And we're all like that. Or, and I also have this part of me, but, but I think it's when we become defensive and we're trying not to show any vulnerability at all, that it makes it really hard to, to go and be big and try new things and, and put yourself out there in ways that you could get rejected.
1: Right. Right. Mm. Um, and then I thought, like, this, when she said that, that, oh, maybe it was the dorm mom that said there's still outcasts at a school of outcasts. Mm. I like what you're saying about, like, what if pe- when the rumors come up, if people just embraced it and identified, excuse me, yeah, that's me. Yeah, and-
0: totally like that.
1: <laughs>
0: Are you okay? Angie's joking. <laughs> And now she's turning bright red. So um it, it was the other part that was interesting is just kind of watching the relationship with her and her mom and somehow really like seeing where they have things in common and where we desperately are trying so hard to not admit it, that we'll go out of our way to not be ourselves or to go against whatever it is we think if we really believe that somehow it's making us look like our parents or what our parents want. So I thought that was really interesting. I, I also, I'm, I'm kind of loving Enid. Enid is a A kind of loving, emotional person. And she talks about the thing about crying. So she came in and Wednesday came in and Enid was crying about something. I I forget exactly what she was crying about, but Wednesday definitely thought that this was you know, the crying was as close to being emotionally vulnerable as possible. And she remembered the one time that she did cry and believed it didn't help anything. It might have yeah. not helped anything in terms of solving that situation, but allowing your emotions to come out and you feeling them and experiencing them and knowing, knowing that you're okay is actually really helpful, I find. And I try as much as I can to cry as much as I can. So I don't know how you feel about that, but I definitely.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think this is a common thing that many of us grow up with this idea of like, don't cry in front of people. I don't want to cry at school. I don't want my friends to see me crying. So this, when Wednesday says, I vowed I would never cry again. um, I think that's relatable to to what we want, we kind of want to hide that, that weakness or vulnerability. I'm like you, I cry all the time and I I cry when I'm happy. I cry when I'm sad. Yeah. I cry when I hear someone else's story that my kids are always saying like, mom, how can you cry just about (laughs) like, uh, of, of inspiration. I cry for all sorts of things, but I do, I do, do recognize that impulse of don't cry and don't show anyone that you're crying. But I like how Enid responded. She said, your secret is safe with me. Like when a friend tells you something and they're kind of being vulnerable for the first time, this is early in their relationship and we haven't seen a lot of emotion from Wednesday. And she, she told that story of her childhood and her, Scorpion being smashed by bullies. And Ina just responded and said, "Your secret's safe with me. It's just like I'm we're building trust. And I thought that was so nice. Enid didn't say, but it's healthy to cry or crying is good or you should have cried or or try to change anything about her. Just your secret's safe with me. You can trust me." I thought that was beautiful. And then Wednesday kind of wondering that she, if she might have the power to destroy the school, I thought was another important part when she is, has a hint about some history and this, this drawing that looks like her, like save the school from this girl. I think that's also relatable that we all sometimes feel like do as a kid, do I have the power to. Ruin my family, or destroy everyone's hopes that are resting on me if I don't do things right or um, we we feel that sense of responsibility. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, that makes perfect sense. that's that's brilliant, angie. actually, i i I had noticed that that she actually was taking responsibility for the possibility that she could hurt the school in some way, like she did take that on. And I think you're right about that idea that somehow we feel like we're responsible for whatever is going on in anybody else's relationship. Like if a parent's are fighting or if they're getting divorced or whatever's going on, that somehow, because we don't have all the information and people don't share really freely about what's going on, nor tell each other as much as we probably could in the future, how much we cherish and adore each other, that that in, in some situations, we could somehow believe that either we could have made it better and didn't, or we're responsible for things falling apart. And that that's a hard, a hard responsibility to have for anybody, for any young person or adult.
1: And I think it's common. I think we sort of raise kids with this societal pressure or family. It's, I don't think a, a lot of parents are out there telling their kids, like our whole family fate rests on you. You must do this to save us. But there is like this underlying sense of if I don't control myself, I could destroy everything. It's like this weight of the world that kids feel if if I don't get this score on the SATs or if I don't behave this way or if I show somebody, you know, these emotions, then my family will be upset about it or hurt by it or something like this. Also in terms of race, I think too, I I was listening to a talk on, on racism, right? It's like this, you Mm -hmm. must appear this way because you're representing Mm -hmm. all of us, just that pressure of how to behave.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. But I think, I think as sometimes I know as a mom, I end up pinning my hopes and dreams on my kids because I've somehow given up in some ways about my hope and dream. And so I'm almost using my family as a way to say something about myself, as opposed to using myself in order to fulfill whatever my hopes and dreams and desires are. And I think that's the interesting part about us moms is that as we get older, we somehow don't believe that we can look to the future for ourselves. We believe we could look to the future for our kids, but we only get to look to the past and possibly their future. But I think that we all need to somehow live as big and and future focused as possible for our own selves. Not that you're not living in the moment, but just that, that we get to live out our own hopes and dreams and desires. And they get to live out their hopes and dreams and desires and i think when we do the big things that's when our kids will come along like as i go they go but i think if we don't it it's it's a crapshoot as to whether they're gonna necessarily do it or not
1: that's such a good point nikki yeah because so to any parents listening out there right it's like check in with yourself what are your plans for the next take 10 years Do you want to go to law school? Do you want to, like, what is your interest and what do you see happening in your life? So that just to check in and make sure how much are you defining yourself by your kids when you meet new people, when you talk to new people, do you say, my kid's doing this and I'm so proud of them and and that feels like your success. And then when your kid is in maybe a harder place, struggling through some challenges, or you don't want to share that with people, well my kids kind of floundering and, and taking a year off and, you know, waitressing right now. If we, if we don't want to say that to people, are we somehow associating what's happening in their life with our determined success or idea of failure? <laughs> like, oh, I really look at definitely that. are. Yes. Oh
0: yes, yes, yes. And I love that you're you're thinking a little bit about racism in terms of, you know, people somehow being responsible for a whole community. And I, I, so it's not only whatever's happening within your own life and your family's life, but a whole community that kind of rests on whether you're doing the right thing or not, or not. And, and the truth is, is that the racism, especially, um, for people of African heritage in the United States is just so incredibly harsh that it really doesn't matter what people are doing. There is still fingers pointed and assumptions made without anything happening. So I think that's a big responsibility that people have to take on with with really no winning in that situation, no matter what. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, I appreciate that.
1: Right. All the important things to talk about and think about and, and, and have discussions about That's, that's Yeah. The,
0: the, oh my God. I can't believe what we touched on today. Like we touched on what it's like <laughs> to be an outcast or not, or the relationship between the parents, or it, it's just amazing what we can glean from these episodes of all of the things we've we've been watching together and talking about. And if you guys haven't listened to our three seasons of Never Have I Ever and gotten the fun book, you're you, there are so many more opportunities. I, it's just golden, like the the opportunity and the ability to have fun and to communicate and to stop future generational trauma and to stay so connected is, is all there.
1: That's right. Have these talks with your kids. Um, yeah, just bring up these ideas. Even if if your kid maybe hasn't watched Wednesday, you can always say, right, like I listened to this podcast today about Wednesday Adams. Do you think um not showing emotion is a value? Would it be a cool would it be a cool attribute if you were able to somehow turn your emotions off and just do everything without being upset about it or showing any outward emotion. Like these are conversations that you can have that will create that connection. Fun conversations like conversations. You don't have to, yeah, wrap up your all your hopes and fears hanging on their one answer being right or wrong. One particular
0: is- way. Exactly. No, I totally get that. All right. Well, I think we're good here and stay tuned next week because we're really going to start talking about episodes three and four. So things are going to get even more unpacked. So, and if you need us, we are here for you. I'm going to leave both our information in the show notes. Both of us love working with families, teens, young adults, parents, anything you need. We could turn things around so quickly. So have a great week guys.
1: Thanks,
0: everyone. Bye. If you want to really learn how to have the most meaningful, fun, connected conversations with your teenagers, get in touch with us and see if it makes sense to work together. You will stop future generational trauma as well as really decrease the incidence of high-risk behaviors just by your strong and close connections. All right, speak to you soon.